0: Acts chapter 4, and as a way of introduction to the teaching this morning, I just ask if, if someone were to give you a name that best describes you based upon who you are, what you do, what you look like, what would it be? You know, a nickname or an adjective that would sum up who you really are, the real you. We see that sort of thing all the time. I myself when I was in high school I had a nickname. It was Fro. And you can see from the screen why that is. And obviously I look drastically different today than I did then by choice. I could pull that off today, no I couldn't. <laughs> but can I can I wear a bow tie or what, huh? I just ask you. Take that down, Bob, right now. So <laughs> But nicknames, for instance, if I mention Honest Abe, who is it? Abraham Lincoln, right? We all know that. If we're discussing the Chicago Cubs, although I don't know why for any reason we would, but if we were and we mentioned Amazing Grace, we would know that, talking about the the famous baseball player, Mark Grace, that played for the Chicago Cubs. Air Jordan, obviously, Michael Jordan. If it's entertainment and someone mentions... The chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra, right? We all know that. Well like all of us that are of the age that would know that, I guess. <laughs> How many of you are old enough to, no I'm not going to do that. How many of you are young enough to not know that? Quite a few. <laughs> Can you name the TV series that featured a wife who was affectionately called Dingbat and a son-in-law called Meathead? See, I didn't get that response the first two services. The first service, well, that's the first service. But second service, this, this wasn't that participation. So that's what I was hoping for. I, I've even had my notes, wait for response. And it was a very awkward time during the second service when nobody responded. So some nicknames fit, like fro, obviously, that fits. Some don't. Back in the glory days of Monday Night Football, you might remember Dandy Don Meredith and humble Howard Cosell, who wasn't very humble at all. So his name didn't really match up there. But we can see that in Scripture, in the Bible, names were often used in the same way. That is, there was a name that was often given to a person in order to reveal his character, his personality. For instance, Abraham, father of nations. Jacob, the deceiver. Peter, the rock. Nabal means fool. So this morning we're going to do what is called a character study based upon Scripture. Learning about someone in particular and why they were given their name. So Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul... Neither did any one say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common, and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there any one among them who lacked; for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this morning, we're going to look at this one particular character in Scripture, Barnabas. And there's a lot written regarding this individual in the book of Acts. Now keep in mind that the different personalities we see in Scripture were there to accomplish the Lord's work at that time and also to be examples for us. And in that example, it's someone that we can imitate to be like. Just as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11:1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So the characters in Scripture that we can relate to because of the unique giftedness and calling that they have upon their lives. We're going to look at several places in Acts, but we started here with Acts 4, and let's take note of what was happening at this time in the early church. These things were in place in the early church. It says in verse 32, they had all things in common. In verse 33, we see that they gave witness to the resurrection. Also in verse 33, great grace was upon them all. Verse 34, no one lacked anything. And then in verses 34 and 35, we see possessions were sold to meet the needs. And one, sense, uh, one such individual was Joseph. In some translations, it says Joseph. But Barnabas, who sold land and brought the money to the apostles. His name was Joseph, but the apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And this is who we're going to look at this morning in our text, Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Barnabas, we see in this text, had land that he obviously didn't need, or he wasn't dependent upon it to meet his needs or the needs of his family. So he sold the land and gave the money to the early church. Barnabas was an encourager. We see that from this text alone. He encouraged the early church with his giving. So he encouraged the church with giving. We also see in chapter 9, he encouraged Paul in Jerusalem. In chapter 11, he encouraged the church in Antioch. In chapter 15, he encouraged John Mark. And throughout the book of Acts, we see time and time again, Barnabas was an encourager. Now, the gift of encouragement or exhortation is found in Paul's list of spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. The word translated encouragement or exhortation is the Greek word paraklesis, related to the Greek word paraklete. Paraklesis basically means a call to one side. It carries the idea of coming closely alongside to encourage courage, to exhort, to urge, to comfort, and love. And all these actions or attitudes are critical to the success of one who has the gift of encouragement. So yes, there's a spiritual gift of encouragement. As with all spiritual gifts, it's led by, initiated by, the Holy Spirit Himself. When Jesus was talking with His disciples on the night of His arrest, he spoke of the Holy Spirit as the helper or the comforter. We see that in John chapter 14 and John chapter 15, which is why the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Greek word paraclete, as it describes the one who comes alongside to exhort and encourage, to help us. So, by function, a person with the spiritual gift of encouragement then uses his or her gift in whatever setting they're in, to encourage people. It can also be used, of course, in counseling, discipleship, mentoring, and preaching, but of course, every day in relationship with others. The body of Christ is built up in faith as a result of those who are available to effectively use their God-given gifts of the Spirit in and for ministry. So Christ sent to us the helper or the comforter. He sent the Holy Spirit to help us, whether it be in our day-to-day lives as we relate with one another or if it be as we are acting in, serving in and through our spiritual gift, whatever that might be. So we gather a group of people together of this size and some of you in your minds right now are probably thinking, I'm not sure what my spiritual gift is. I don't know what it is either. Some of you, I have a pretty good idea, but for most of you, I don't. But some years ago, I heard a phrase that I believe, at least it helped me at the time, and I pray that it'll help you as well, to help determine what that might be. And the phrase goes like this. If you are operating within your spiritual gift, you get maximum efficiency with minimum fatigue. If you're operating within your spiritual gift, you get maximum efficiency with minimum fatigue. Why is that true? Because it is what God has gifted or built you to do. It comes natural to you because God himself has built you to do it. And since it is initiated by God, God can also at any time expand that gift or even change it. God's in control of it. He can give you that gift. He can give you something else. Why? He's God. Last time I checked, He can do anything that He wants, right? As long as it doesn't go against His character. In reality, though, we can and we should all be encouragers, shouldn't we? And actually, we're commanded to from Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says... Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, Paul writes there. So yes, we know from Scripture that it's a gift, but it's also a choice on behalf of all of us in order to obey that Scripture that Paul gives us. Paul didn't preface that Scripture by saying, I say this now to those of you that have the gift of encouragement. He didn't say that, did he? He said, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up so it's to all of us. To that wider audience, but it's a choice. Are we ones to encourage or are we ones that discourage? In an honest assessment of ourselves this morning before the Lord, are we typically an overly negative person? Are we typically an overly critical person, pessimist, optimist, looking for good, looking for bad? Do any of you here have an EOR disorder? Have a good day, if it is a good day, which I doubt. You don't know how long I had to practice saying or disorder. I mean, that's a hard thing to string together. I got it, but are you one who encourages others wherever you go? Or are you one who encourages others whenever you go? <laughs> there is a difference, isn't there? <laughs> are you one that wherever you go, you're just encouraging people? Or are you one that when you're not there, other people are encouraged? It was kind of a sad thing, but... In how you relate to others, are you in teardown mode or build-up mode? Bottom line is that what you have to say or what you do, it's either encouraging or it's not. Scripture is very clear in that we are to build one another up, period. But keep in mind, to be encouraging... It's not telling someone what they want to hear. It's telling someone what they need to hear, isn't it? It's written about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That last description of Jesus in that verse, we're going to park on that a little bit, this morning, he was, he is full of grace and truth. Jesus was 100% truth and 100% grace. He always is. He's the perfect balance of both. Grace and truth. So I believe that we can come up with our own biblical definition of the word encouragement as this, sharing with others the perfect balance of Of grace and truth. Because in that, we are representing Jesus, aren't we? And Jesus is always going to be 100% grace, 100% truth, always encouraging. So sharing with others in the perfect balance of grace and truth, that's encouragement. Knowing that, we can't show grace and sacrifice the truth. And we can't tell the truth without showing grace. They work together. Or they should work together. That's what encouragement needs to be. Encourage others with the truth of God's Word. So let's, let's just take a look at some examples of this grace-truth dynamic at work here. You might be thinking, Pastor Jim, I understand that I'm to encourage others, but you know I'm just more of a more black-and-white type person. You might, be, you might be thinking that. I'm more black-and-white. And then there might be some of you that's saying, well, you know, I'm just not really all that confrontational. So here's a couple of examples for those. And I'm going to give you a warning that these are extreme examples, kind of overemphasized to to bring home a point. So example one, someone comes to you and confesses that they're struggling with pride. So you share. Well, you know... In Acts 12, King Herod struggled with pride, and he was infected with flesh-eating worms and died. Let's pray. That's more black and white, isn't it? (laughs) But it's also truth without any grace, isn't it? (laughs) It's hard to find grace in any of that right there. But it is the truth. You can find that in Scripture. King Herod was eaten by worms and died. Black and white, isn't it? Truth without grace. Example two, someone comes to you and confesses they're struggling with pride, so you share. Oh, I'm so sorry you're going through that. You know, let's pray, and then maybe we can paint some butterflies, and maybe you will feel better. Paint some butterflies? (laughs) A lot of grace there, isn't there? But there's no truth there. There's no Scripture for that. So a lot of grace and no truth in that one. I know those are extreme examples. So what would we say, just for an example, what would we say in that particular situation to show this balance of grace and truth? So try this, if you would. Someone comes to you, they're struggling with pride. Well, you know, we we all struggle with that at times. You know, but in James 10, James chapter 4, verse 10, it says that we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift us up. It's something that we are to do, but there's also a promise attached to it that if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, He'll lift us up. When we look at ourselves in the light of God, in the light of who God is, we can't help but to be humbled because of who He is. He alone is Lord, and He has done so much for us. Let's pray. In that, we have a balance of truth and grace. We're giving them the Word of God, the truth, but we're also delivering it with grace. Jesus was the perfect balance between grace and truth. He has given us His Holy Spirit, sent His Holy Spirit to us, who always represents Jesus 100% correctly all the time. So the Holy Spirit then in and of Himself represents the perfect balance of grace and truth. And the Holy Spirit's in us working. So it's available for us to operate in that way as well, isn't it? Showing grace and truth in perfect balance. So we know from Paul's text and any other studies that we've done through Scripture that as a church body we need to be encouragers. And yes, we know that for some it's definitely a gift given by God. But we all have the opportunity every day to make a conscious decision to do at least two things. Encouraging people to the Lord or encouraging people in the Lord. Now, encouraging people to the Lord, that could be for the unbelievers that we, that we know and we have contact with. Encouraging them to the Lord. And for those that have relationship with the Lord, that we have fellowship with, encouraging them in the Lord. We have that opportunity each and every day. We can pray to God when we get up of the morning, Lord, provide for me divine opportunities. Put someone in my path that day that I can encourage, encourage to you or encourage in you. And I dare you to pray that because it'll happen. <laughs> God will answer that prayer. Someone will be in your path that day because... We all need encouragement, don't we? Every one of us. We need that. But an intentional focus on these two things we should do in the lives of others each and every day. Because we can bring to them encouraging news, good news, of what the Lord has done in and through our lives. Sharing with others the joy of the Lord that we have experienced ourselves. I thought about this this week. Imagine with me, if you will maybe somewhere out on the the prairies, east of town somewhere. You're driving down this gravel road. You see this little church. You see the sign out front of the church by the road. And the sign says, Home on the Range Church. And the motto or the vision statement for that church is right below it. And it says, Where seldom is heard a discouraging word. I like that, don't you? That would just be awesome. Home on the Range Church, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. I mean, obviously, there's the buffalo roaming, deer and antelope, uncloudy skies going on at the same time. But home on the Range Church, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Amen? Turn to Acts chapter 11, if you will we're going to continue with our text this morning in Acts chapter 11 more about Barnabas the son of encouragement this is the uh, f- the first time that i've had the privilege of teaching on a sunday morning here in the three service era <laughs> It's a hall, I want to tell you. It's, it's a marathon. And you get to the third service and you're like, yes, I can teach as long as I want. There's nobody else coming in. My feet are screaming. I want you to know enough about my issues. Let's go on to the text. Chapter 11, verse 19. Those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord." The news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. When he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So verse 19 in our text here clarifies for us the other areas that the gospel was spreading to at that time. After the stoning of Stephen, this area of Phoenicia, north of Galilee, Cyprus, the island, and also to the city of Antioch, and we can be assured everywhere in between as well. But up to this point, from what our text says, the word was being preached in these areas to the Jews only. But then in verse 20, we see the preaching of the Lord Jesus now to the Hellenists, the pagan Jews and Gentiles that were Greek speaking. And now the gospel is spreading into areas with Jews and Gentiles, and it was necessary to set up a base of operations in Antioch for this new missionary work that was going to to take place. A lot going on there. Uh, As you read on in the book of Acts, you see that Paul and Barnabas were sent out on their missionary journeys from the church in Antioch. So the believers in Antioch spread the gospel to the Jews and Gentiles alike in that whole region. Verse 21 says, "'The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord.'" Then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. Why Barnabas? Of all of the leaders, the disciples, the apostles that were gathered in the city of Jerusalem, why do you suppose they determined that it was Barnabas that they would send? Barnabas, what does it mean? Son of encouragement. Seems like the likely one to send. But in verse 24, we see a description there uh, of Barnabas. It says that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit, and full of faith. So Barnabas was an encourager, but we see these qualities at place in his life as well. So the decision was made to send him. In verse 23, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. It said when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. Barnabas was glad. Barnabas was encouraged by what he saw when he got there, what was taking place, the ministry that was going on, how they were reaching out to Jews and Gentiles alike, and many were believing. And then Barnabas was threw at a back at you, if you will. He encouraged them as well. He encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord Barnabas saw the grace of God at work and he just encouraged them to continue in that work So how did he encourage them we have that for us as well it says by telling them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord purpose of heart purpose of heart what well, what's what's that all about Let me ask all of us here this morning what is really your purpose in life. What do you think about the most? What is the most significant thing to you in this life? Well, I think for all of us, Paul answers this best, at least what it should be, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, when he says, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in death. That I may know Him." Paul's purpose in life, his main focus, was to know Jesus more and more every day, to draw as close to Jesus as he possibly could, to get to know him the best that he possibly could. He said that I may know him, that I may continually and progressively know him and follow him more and more each and every day. So this is the way that Barnabas is encouraging the believers in Antioch. Encouraging them to continue what they're doing with purpose of heart. But let's look again at what is said about Barnabas the man himself in verse 24. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas had the hand of the Lord upon his life. It's, a, it's evident. And he was purposed in his heart to do God's will. Says he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. These observations that are written here for us, the recorded for us about Barnabas, are, are documented here by the author of Acts, Luke. And it's Luke's analysis of the makeup of Barnabas as he sees him. He describes Barnabas here with three phrases. For clarity this morning, I'd like for us to take a look at these backwards. He was full of faith, he was full of the Holy Spirit, and because of these things, Luke says that he was a good man. He was full of faith, faith in Jesus Christ. All that Jesus said, all that he did, all that he was, he believed in his life, his death, his resurrection, he believed in him, trusted in him. By faith, Barnabas was full of faith. Now we also know through our other studies through Scripture that faith in Jesus Christ brings to us the promise of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus gave us the promise to send a helper in John 14:26. but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So depending upon, relying upon the God-sent helper for us, to fill us, allowing him to work in us and through us for the glory of the Lord. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. So filled with the Holy Spirit, it spills out. It's poured out into the lives of others. There's an analogy that I saw and have used in the past years ago, where if you take A glass bowl. I set it on the table down here. And I take a glass glass, set it in the bowl. I take a glass pitcher and I fill it to the brim with water. The water representing the Holy Spirit. The pitcher representing God. And in the illustration it's hard to do, but think in your minds, this is a pitcher that never runs out of water. It's always full, so it's available. The glass is us we accept the Lord into our lives and the Lord pours His Holy Spirit into us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. Then God determines that He has things that He wants us to do for Him. He gifted us for those particular things. He calls us to do those particular things, whatever they might be. And in order to accomplish those things, according to His purpose, He fills us with His Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing filling to the point of being spilled out and in this case, into the bowl, which is others. I think it's a great picture of the Lord's work in us and the power of the Holy Spirit, pouring into us till overflowing into the lives of other people. That's what he's doing. Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, so filled with the Holy Spirit, it spilled out, just like we are to do pour into the lives of others. Question for us, though, is how do we stay full? by purposing in our hearts to draw closer to Him each and every day, to get as close to the Lord as we can possibly get so that we have that continual filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we are poured out into the lives of others, it's also evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit in us, which is listed for us in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So to be full of the Spirit is evidenced by the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in us. Let me say that again. To be full of the Spirit is evidenced by the manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in us. Those things that we just listed. So do we exemplify the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Are we full of the Holy Spirit? Key point. See, it's not really a question of how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? It's not how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, but how much of you does the Holy Spirit have? And honestly, wouldn't we all agree that this list there in Galatians 5 is overwhelming to say the least? Love. Well, okay. Joy. Sometimes. We should always have joy. The joy of the Lord, shouldn't we? Peace. Sometimes that escapes us. Long suffering. That's one of those terms that sounds just like what it is, right? You've got that person or person in your life that long suffering. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it? It's a chore. But that's a quality that we're supposed to have. Why? Uh, I think the Lord has it in regards to us, doesn't he? He's always long suffering towards us. Kindness, are we always kind? Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How can you or I possibly do or be all these things? Exhibit these qualities in our lives every day. That's just it. We can't, can we, on our own? It has to be the work of the Holy Spirit in us. He was sent to us as a helper. Why? (laughs) Because we need help, don't we? (laughs) We all need help. So Jesus sends us a helper to help us with this very thing. He wants to help us. We just need to let him help. Yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and how he's working in us and through us and how he wants to direct us and guide us. Yield to that and let him do his work. The fruit listed in these verses is what the Holy Spirit wants to work out in us and through us. He wants to help us. He wants to exhibit each one of these qualities in our walk with the Lord. It says Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit was evident in his life. He showed the fruit of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control to those around him. The apostles called him the son of encouragement. Why? Because before they called Him the Son of Encouragement, He was exhibiting all these qualities, wasn't He? He was doing it. That's always key. Especially as it comes to leadership in the church. We've had at times in the past where someone would come say us, to us and say, You know, I think I'd like to work with youth here at the church. How would I do that? Well, work with youth? <laughs> I don't know, that sounds like a good place to start, doesn't it? Just be working with youth, to be doing that. Then it's recognized as something you're already doing. So yeah, he work he works with youth. He's the guy that works with youth. It's an easy correlation there, isn't it? In any other area of the church you could do that as well. How did he get to be an usher? He, he was ushing. <laughs> he was an ush before, so we recognized him as an usher. <laughs> Obviously, that just popped into my head. It's not in my notes, because why would you ever put that in your notes? But still, the son of encouragement, they called him that because he was already doing it. So they could easily call him Barnabas, the son of encouragement, because that's what he was. It says he was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was a good man, which is goodness is listed in, those, in the fruit of the Spirit, isn't it? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit, he also could effectively encourage with that perfect balance of grace and truth. He could do that because it was the Holy Spirit working in him. Barnabas was an encourager. He encourages people to the Lord. He encouraged people in the Lord. And we can and we should as well. If you don't have that spiritual gift, you're still supposed to be an encourager. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Pastor Jeff taught on this recently. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. There's just some verses in Scripture that just the way that they're structured should just jump out at us. This is one of those because the first four words here say what? And let us consider. Let us think about. Let us think about this. Let us think about how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Put some thought into it. How can I do that? I don't know. I'm going to give it some thought though. Maybe I can do this. How we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds... Not giving up meeting together, as some in their habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. These verses tell us that if we are not in fellowship with one another regularly, consistently, two things happen. We miss the opportunity to encourage others and also to be encouraged ourselves. We miss the opportunity to encourage those that may need encouragement and we miss the opportunity to be encouraged ourselves as we need to be. We miss the opportunity too, as the verse says, to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. I know that I could take that particular phrase and look it up in the uh, New Living Translation and it would just say something entirely, well, it would say the same thing, but it would just be worded different. But I like what this says, to spur one another on to love and good deeds. A lot of action happening in that verse, isn't it? It's that conscious effort to pour into the life of someone else and encourage them to do better in their walk with the Lord. So to encourage one another in the Lord, to encourage one another that with purpose of heart, we should continue with the Lord, to build one another up and not tear down, to show each other grace and truth in perfect balance by the Holy Spirit in us. That we might be known throughout this community as Calvary Chapel Greeley, where seldom is heard a discouraging word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for just the opportunity, Lord, that you give us to come together and your word, to... To be encouraged, to give encouragement. Lord, I think that that's what you obviously intended with our fellowship from the very beginning to spur one another on towards love and good works. Lord, we thank you that you are the originator, the initiator of encouragement itself. You encourage us in so many ways, Lord the grace that you show us, the mercy you show us, forgiveness. Even when it comes to rebuke and correction, Lord, you do it with grace. You're so patient with us. And Lord, we just give you thanks for all of those things that you do for us in spite of us so many times. Lord, we know that as we've looked through the scriptures this morning, there's areas there where we, in an honest assessment of ourselves, we see that we fall short in some of those areas. But Lord, we also that nothing, know nothing is impossible for you, that you can work in us to will and do for your good pleasure. And Lord, you want to see these qualities in our lives. You want to be working these things out in us. And Lord, we know that you are. You never leave us or forsake us. You're always there to build us up and encourage us, to love us. Lord, to always take us from where we are to where you want us to be. Lord, continue that work in us. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone in this place this morning that doesn't have a relationship with you, we as believers, as we're gathered together in this place, we encourage you to give your life over to the Lord. As each one of us represents a time when we weren't in relationship with the Lord, and now we are. So we can relate to where you are in this place this morning. You have this opportunity this morning to turn your life over to Jesus Christ for all that He is and all that He's done for you. First and foremost, the love that He has for you. And also that he came and died in your place on the cross for sins that you've committed as well as the sins of the world. And so Jesus reaches out to your heart this morning and says, do you see what I've done for you? And I've done this because of my love for you. Will you respond to my love? Because of what I've done, you have the hope of eternal life, of spending eternity in heaven with me. Will you respond to the love of Jesus this morning? Just pray this simple prayer Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've fallen short of the righteous requirement that you set forth. And I know that I need you in my life. So I confess my sin before you, Lord. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And Lord, I want to live my life in you for eternity. Lord Jesus, I respond to that love that you pour out to me and ask that that you continue to work in in me and through me by giving, us, by giving me the helper, the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to work in my life to help me. If you prayed that prayer this morning, there will be those that will be gathered up front here after the service and they would love to pray with you. But you have the opportunity that if you have accepted the Lord this morning, you have the opportunity to come together in fellowship with us to the communion table celebrating all that Christ has done for all of us his broken body and his shed blood truly in an attitude of thanksgiving and celebration for all that he has done for us Lord Jesus we thank you for all these things we thank you for the work that you have done in each and every one of our hearts We give you all the praise and the glory for who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen.